Good morning. We're thankful that you have chosen to join us. If you will take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm or First Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 through 29. God's bountiful vision. As you turn to 1 Samuel 23, the big idea or the theme of the passage really is that God guides, he encourages, and he protects his faithful servants. God guides, encourages, and protects his faithful servants. As we've been working our way through the book of 1 Samuel, we have seen that Saul is not a king who follows after God's heart. He is not a king who loves God's word and has a desire to live in obedience and faithfulness to God. And as a result, in chapter 15, the throne is taken away from him and it is given to David in chapter 16. In chapter 17, David begins to demonstrate that he is indeed living by faith and it is because of his faith in the Lord that he is able to Deliver the Israelites from the hand of Goliath. And as we work our way through chapter 18, chapter 19, chapter 20, chapter 21, up until chapter 21, David is living by faith in the midst of horrible, horrible difficulties. In 21 and 22, David chooses to not walk by faith for the very beginning of 21. And in 22, he returns to God. He returns to faithfulness and obedience. And as he does so, God continues to bless him in 23. Why? Because he's proven that deep down that David is indeed a man who chooses to follow after God's heart. And as he does so, God guides him. God directs him. God encourages him through a friend and God will protect him as he is chased by his menace, King Saul. And those same truths are truths that are still true about our God. God is still a God who guides us, who directs our paths. And he desires to guide you and to direct your path. And the question really is, are you going to follow him in obedience? Are you going to follow him as he directs you? God is still a God who offers and gives you means by which you can be encouraged through his truth. And the question is, are you going to turn to him for encouragement? Are you going to turn to him for strength as you go through trials and encounter difficult situations in your life? And God is still a God who offers his faithful servants with protection. And the question is, where do you go to for your protection? Where do you go to for the provisions that David receives? And what the Lord wants us to do is he wants us to turn to him to receive all these bountiful provisions. Let's read 1 Samuel chapter 23. Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. 
But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines struck them with a mighty blow and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. And it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servants have certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver you. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that David escaped from Keilah, so he halted the expedition. Verse 14. And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains of the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. Verse 19. Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in strongholds in the woods in the hill of Hakilah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desires of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is, and who has seen him there. For I am told he is very crafty. See therefore and take the knowledge of all the lurking places which he hides, and come back to me with certainty. And I will go with you, and it shall be, if he is in the land, that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plain on the south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David. Therefore he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Then Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. 
Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. So they called that place the Rock of Escape. Then David went up from there and dwelt in strongholds at Engedi. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it presents us. We pray that as we meditate on these truths for a few minutes, that you would encourage our hearts and that you would stir us to turn to you for guidance in the trials and difficulties that we encounter in this life. We pray that we would turn to you for our encouragement and our strength to continue amidst the trials of life. And we pray that we would lean on you and look to you to be our protector and our shield and our stronghold. And in your name we pray. Amen. As the passage begins, we see that God guides his servants. God guides his servants. And as David has just followed God's leading, God's guidance in 1 Samuel 22, God sends his prophet Gad to David and tells him to return from the land of Moab into Judah. And David obeys and he follows God's leading in his life. And David hears that the Philistines are now coming and attacking a threshing floor at Keilah. And what does he do? He goes to God and he asks God, what should I do? Should I go and attack these Philistines, or is that not what I'm supposed to do now that I'm not in King Saul's service and I have this band of, you know, 600 soldiers? What should I do? And God tells him, yeah, indeed, go and fight them, attack them, for I will indeed give them into your hands. It's interesting, as we work our way through chapter 23, and then as we get into 24, you're going to see this use of language over and over again of who has God delivered into whose hand. And also watch for misconceptions that Saul's going to have about somebody being delivered into his hand and who indeed has been delivered into whose hand. As we work our way through the passage, God has delivered the Philistines into David's hands. And Saul's going to have the misconception a number of times that God has delivered David into his hand. When in fact, Saul has been delivered into David's hands. And you're going to have Saul actually confess that in chapter 24 as we work our way through it. But God is guiding David. God is protecting David in this passage. David's band is fearful. It's interesting, in 22 verse 5, they're told to go to Judah. They're in God's will. That is where God has them. And the men, when they first hear about this idea of marching into Keilah and taking back this threshing floor, not allowing the Philistines to ransack this place, they're like, well, we're actually fearful just being in Judah, much less going up to Keilah. Can we really, you know, rethink this? Should we really go up and do this? And they end up going. They obey God. And as they obey God, Saul is embittered by David's success and seek his life again. It's just amazing. You've seen Saul receive great victory and great peace in his land on account of David. We've seen this in chapter 17. Why is Saul so angry at David? It's because of the great success that David has brought into his kingdom. He's an inept 
unbelievable spiritual leader. Why? Because he does not walk by faith. Because he does not choose to live in obedience to God's word. That's why he's an inept, incapable leader. And you continue to see that. And as he becomes embittered and enraged against David, what does he do? He calls the men to come together to go and fight against him. Look at verse 7. This is where you begin to see once again this theme of being delivered into somebody's hand. We've already seen it earlier in the passage. But in verse 7, And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand. For he has shut himself in by entering a city with bars and gates. There's some serious misconceptions and misunderstanding in Saul's life. And so David hears of this report that the troops have been gathered and they're getting ready to march on his location. And what does he do? Where does he go for help? It's interesting, in chapter 21, where does David go for help? In the midst of fleeing from Saul, he forgets to live by faith. He forgets to live by obedience and faithfulness to God. So what does he turn to? He turns to lies. He lies to the priest and he says, yeah, I'm on this desperate mission, but we've, we've prepared three days ahead of time. We haven't been with any women, but, but I also forgot my weapon because it was such a hurried, you know, expedition. And he turns and he says, yeah, you know, Goliath's sword is what will provide me deliverance. There is no other sword like Goliath's sword. Give me that one. That is the best sword there is. And then he turns to Goliath's hometown, and he goes to Goliath's town, and he says, this is where I'm going to find protection. This is where I'm going to find relief from King Saul's vengeance. And then he turns to Moab. He's not living by faith. He's not living in obedience to God's word. What is he relying on? Where is he going for guidance? Himself. Chapter 21 and the very first part of chapter 22 is characterized by David's self-reliance. It's not characterized by obedience and pursuit of God's guidance and God's will. Where does David go in 23? David goes to the only source of guidance and direction that has any credibility in this life. He goes to God and he asks God through Abiathar, the priest who has come to him. He says, is Saul indeed going to march? And the Lord answers, yes, he will. And then he goes to the Lord again and he says, are the city people going to hand me over? What does the Lord say? Yes. God is graciously guiding and directing his faithful servant. David learns of the plot and seeks the Lord's guidance. And the question is, where do you and I go for guidance? <clears throat> do we go to the Lord's word for guidance? When we go to the Lord's word for guidance, do we follow it in obedience? Do we follow it in faithfulness? In our scripture reading this morning, we looked at who Christ is, that Christ is the great high priest 
And that there's two different responses that you and I can take to our great high priest. We can either come to him as verses 19 through like 25 describe with the three imperatives of let us do this and let us do that and let us do this. Or we can follow the path of apostasy and walk away from the faith. And he ends in verses 32 through 39 and he says, let us instead be faithful and come to God. Hebrews chapter 10 offers us guidance. It offers us direction. There's lots of other passages that offer you and I guidance and direction as to how we are supposed to live. You have it very accessible to you. It's God's word. And are you and I living in faithful reliance on that word? Are we going to God's word faithfully to seek to rely upon it, to be guided through the trials and difficulties that we experience? Or are we much more like David in chapter 21 and the very early part of chapter 22 where it's self-reliance, it's lies, it's, it's the great sword of Goliath of Gath that's going to Gath for protection and acting like a madman in Gath, it's going to Moab, all sorts of other things other than following the Lord's will, the Lord's guidance. Where do we go? And what God wants us to see is that he is the one who guides his servants. And so the response that you and I are supposed to have to that truth is we're supposed to turn to him faithfully, repeatedly, and regularly for the guidance that we need in this life. The passage doesn't end there, though. God's ministry of bountiful provision for his faithful servant does not simply end with, I've guided you, and I hope that's enough, because, you know, you're going to have trials, but at least you know what you're supposed to do, right? You know, I have given you direction, and, you know, you're going to face trials, but just tough it up, you know? That's not what happens. As David lives in obedience to God's guidance, he's still in the middle of the wilderness. His wife's still in wherever his wife is. He's not with his wife. His wife's going to be given to another man. Right? I mean, all these trials, not only that, but you're like constantly running for your life this whole time. That's a pretty big trial. Probably about as big or bigger than whatever trial you're going through right now. He's fearful for his life. Yeah, God's guided him. God's directed him in how he's supposed to live. But does God provide him with more? Yes, God provides him with a friend who comes to him, who strengthens and encourages him with what? His friend comes and strengthens him or encourages him in God. Let's look at the passage. David's now 
and the strongholds in the wilderness. He's in the countryside of Ziph. And who else comes but the man who is in this text, who in chapter 14 demonstrated himself to be a man who is very much like King David. King Saul is an inept, incapable leader who looks to himself constantly for guidance, for understanding, and how to live. But in chapter 14, what does Jonathan say? Jonathan says, you know, we don't know whether God will work by, by many or by few, perhaps just by me and you, my armor bearer, God will work a miraculous deliverance for the nation of Israel. Let's trust God and try. Echoing very much of the same ideas that David demonstrates in chapter 17, a, a faith and a belief and a trust in who God is. The God is capable. And the God is to be followed and obeyed. And this same man comes to David. He learns of where David is, and he comes to David. And in verses 16 and 17, he encourages him, he strengthens him in God. He points him to who God is and the promises that God has made to David. He said, God has been faithful up to this point. God will continue to be faithful and will continue to provide for you and care for you and will fulfill his promises to you. That's really what Jonathan is telling David. He's saying, look at God's past faithfulness and continue to live in obedience and faithful trust today because you can trust God. Because he's done it in the past, you can trust him in the future. He's strengthening, he's encouraging God's servants. Verse 16 then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hands. How? They didn't give him a dumbbell and tell him, you know, do this a couple times a day and then you'll be able to face my dad, right? That's not what he says. He strengthens him in God. Right? And notice the words that he uses. Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. Why? Because it's not God's will that you be found by him. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. This never actually happens. Jonathan thought that he'd be second in command. That's really what he's saying. That never happens. But he realizes that David is destined to be king of Israel. And he strengthens him, he encourages him, saying, this is what God has promised you in chapter 16. You are going to be king. And he encourages him and strengthens him with these truths. Even my father Saul knows this. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. David is hiding, and God does not deliver him into Saul's hands. God brings Jonathan to David to strengthen his hand, to remind him of God's past faithfulness and the fact that God will remain consistent, that God will remain faithful, that God will fulfill his promise that he made to him in chapter 16. He was anointed king in chapter 16, and God will see that through. So don't be afraid. This is a huge trial. It doesn't, he doesn't tell him, 
you know, you're really overthinking this. This is not really a trial, David. You know, this isn't really actually a hard thing to deal with. This is, this is nothing. No, he, he acknowledges the fear. But he also tells them God has been faithful. He encourages them with who God is. He looks to God's character. And believer, God has not changed. They reaffirm their friendship through a covenant. God has not changed. God was faithful in the past, and he cared for David, and he fulfilled his promise. It's going to take a couple more chapters. You're going to have to get through all of 1 Samuel and then into 2 Samuel before David actually is anointed king. But David will be anointed king. God encourages him by bringing a servant who points him to God's character. And God uses stories like this one. Stories like the ones we're seeing from Genesis in our services in the evenings. To remind us of God's character. That God is still a faithful, good God who cares for us, who loves us. And as a result, wants us to follow him in faithful obedience. Where do you go for your encouragement? Where do you go for strength in the midst of your trials? You know, my, my, my characteristic thing is I, I joke about Oreos. Because there's a lot of us that, you know, after a long day or a stressful day, what do we do? We go home and we do a line of Oreos, right? And that's how we make it through a difficult time. My wife actually laughs because she's actually the bigger Oreo eater in our family. I'm, I'm more of the Doritos guy, you know, so I'm like, uh, I, I'll open a bag of Doritos, and if I'm not careful, it's like, where did that thing go? Right? Okay. Where do we go? Do we go to a bag of Doritos or a TV show? Do we go to some sort of recreation or do we turn to sex or what do we turn to? Where do you go for encouragement and strength in the midst of the trials and difficulties of your life? God wants you and I to go to him for encouragement. Where does Jonathan take David? He strengthens him in the Lord. That's where you and I must go for our strength, for our encouragement. In the midst of the trials and difficulties and heartaches of this life, we go to God. Why? Because God encourages his servants. And he uses his word to encourage and strengthen you and I. And the question is, are you going to allow his word to strengthen you and encourage you? You can't say, yes, I will, and then never crack your Bible open until the next Sunday. That's not how that works. God has guided his faithful servant. God has encouraged his faithful servant by pointing him to who he is, that he is a faithful God. And now God protects his servant. We've seen this throughout the entire text, right? 1 Samuel 23 has just been full of God's protection. 
but it really demonstrates itself and kind of culminates in this last section. It's interesting, there's really even no direct um, uh, reference to the fact that God is the one who brought it about. But as we contemplate and understand who our God is, and our God is a God who is sovereign and in control of all things, as we, we look at the text, it becomes obvious to us that, that is indeed what is happening, that it, it is God who is protecting his servant through the enemies who come in, and as they invade the kingdom of Israel, Saul is forced to give up his chase of his number one target, David. Look with me in verse 19. The Ziphites, this is where David has been when Jonathan came and encouraged him and strengthened him in God. The Ziphites now come and they tell King Saul, hey, guess what? David is right in our backyard. If you'll come up, we'll give him to you. You can do whatever you want with him. We just want to earn favor and earn happiness with you, King Saul. Because, you know, I remember in chapter 22, what does Saul say? He's like, is David going to give you land? Is David going to give you captains of hundreds and thousands? No, I'm the king. And the Ziphites are looking for stuff. That's why they're doing it. Saul feigns spirituality. Notice um, in verse 21, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is. And who has set him there? For I am told he is very crafty. See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you. And it shall be, if he is in the land, that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. David hears about this and he moves on to um, the wilderness of Maon. And Saul comes and they're on a mountain. That's what's happening in verses 24 through 26. They're on a mountain and David is on one side of the mountain. And Saul is pursuing him. He's trying to set up a, a pincer movement of sorts where he's going to entrap David. And so he has his troops moving in such a way that they're going to encircle David and his troops. And then once they're encircled, there is no way of escape. And right before that is going to happen, what happens? A messenger comes running up to King Saul. And what does he say? Hurry and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore, Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines they called that place the Rock of Escape. Then David went up from there and dwelt in strongholds at Engedi. This is the Rock of Division, or the Rock of Escape. It's where the two of them were so, so close. And Saul almost had his way. He almost got David. What happens? The Lord works in the heart of the Philistines and in the desires of the Philistines so that right as Saul is about to actually capture and ensnare David, what happens? A messenger comes running up and says, Saul, we gotta go. 
there's a fight brewing back home and the Philistines are invading and we got to go take care of that. We got to worry about David on another day. What happens? Saul packs it up and goes back home and God protects his servant. And God doesn't necessarily protect you and I from death. It might be in God's sovereign will that you die in the next week. What does it mean then that God ultimately protects us if I'm not going to guarantee you that you're going to live to next Sunday? That's kind of awkward, right? I'm telling you that God protects you, and I'm telling you at the same time that God's sovereign will may be that you die before next Sunday. How do these two polar opposites come together? I think what helps us to understand these apparent polar opposites is understanding that God has provided a means by which you can come into fellowship with Jesus Christ. What does that look like? What am I talking about? It means that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. He came and he lived a perfect life sinless life for three years. And at the end of three years, the people around him, the vast majority of the Israelites decided that it was his time to die. And so they captured him, they took him to their high priests, their high priests and their legal counsel judged him and condemned him to death. They took him to the Romans, and the Romans decided to appease the Jews. And Jesus died. But that in and of itself is not good news. Because the death without the resurrection is not good news. Jesus rose again from the dead. Why? So that you and I can place our faith in him. And that's how we live the rest of our life. We live by faith. On a day-by-day basis, we place our faith in him, and then we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear eternal punishment. Ultimately, then, while God may not protect you from physical death this coming week, as you and I place our faith in Christ's finished work, we can be assured that we are protected from eternal condemnation. That there is a hope that is laid up for us in eternity. And that is a truly great hope. That is a truly great protection that God offers us, not because of anything that I could ever do or that you could ever do, but because of his son's finished work on the cross. He sent his son to the world to die for your sins and for my sins. Are you certain that you have that kind of protection? Have you indeed placed your faith in Jesus Christ's finished work? Because without that protection, 
None of the previous provisions that we've talked about are yours. Why? Because God guides his servants. And his servants are the ones who have placed their faith in him. God encourages his servants. And his servants are the ones who have placed their faith in him. And God protects his servants. How do we respond? What is the response to 1 Samuel 23? First of all, rejoice in the Lord who guides, encourages, and protects you. That is a reason to get up tomorrow and say, I'm going to live by faith this week. I'm going to live in obedience this week. I'm going to seek the Lord's guidance this week. I'm going to open my copy of God's Word, and I'm going to read it and seek to understand how He wants me to live in obedience and faithfulness to Him this week. I'm going to go to the Lord for my encouragement. I'm not going to turn to recreation. I'm not going to turn to various forms of um, entertainment. I'm not saying those things are bad. Whether it be a bag of Doritos or a line of Oreos or some sort of recreation or entertainment, if that's what you're turning to for strength and encouragement to get through the trials and difficulties that you're going through this week, that's wrong. We go to the Lord for our encouragement. We go to the Lord for our strength. I'm going to find my comfort in the Lord's protection this week. That's how we respond to 1 Samuel 23. We rejoice, but we seek his guidance. We seek his encouragement, and we find comfort in his protection. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for its truthfulness. We thank you for the fact that you are a God who guides us, who encourages us, and who protects us. We pray that you would help us to rejoice in who you are. We pray that we would live lives this week that are seeking to worship you in response to who you are. We pray that we would indeed seek you this week, that we would seek you for our guidance and our encouragement, and that we would find our comfort in you. In your name we pray. Stand as we sing our final song this morning.